Good evening. Uh, today is Maundy Thursday, and like Jody just explained, Maundy is the Latin word for command. So today is Command Thursday. Um, so let's take a look at what that command is. Uh, John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The first thing I want you to notice about this command is that it's a command. This is Jesus giving an order. There's no negotiating here. It's a command. Now, what do commands do? They obligate us to obey them. Okay, that's the nature of what a command is. So when a command is given, we're bound to do what it says. So to love one another is our duty as Christians. So I want you to look at the person next to you and say, it is my duty to love you. Okay, does everybody feel loved? <laughs> I know if somebody said that to me, I would actually feel less loved. <laughs> your duty to love me? What do you mean it's your duty to love me? Don't you just love me? But there's a reason why Jesus commands us to love one another. Now, if the person that you just turned to is in your family, you know that reason very well. I don't even have to say anything about it. You know. Familiarity breeds contempt. We all know this from experience. But it's not just family members that have a hard time loving one another. We have a hard time here loving one another too. And we know each other's sins. If you don't believe me, just come over to Bob's house for one day. One day. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Bob uh, is a man with cerebral palsy. And there's six guys here, six young guys who live with him and take care of him. And we share rooms, <laughs> two by two by two, and uh, we can get on each other's nerves. So it takes effort from every one of the guys who lives there to love one another on a daily basis, moment by moment. So when God commands us to love one another, it doesn't cheapen, it doesn't cheapen the love. Can you imagine if God had not commanded us to love one another? It'd be pretty terrifying. Okay, there would be no obligation for any of us to keep loving one another when things got difficult and when it got hard to love one another. Actually, there would be no reason for us to love one another at all if God had not commanded us to love one another. We think far too highly of ourselves if we think that we would automatically love one another. We're naturally unloving. 
And that's why we have to be told to love one another. And we're naturally unlovable, and that's why we need other people to be told to love us. So what does it mean to love one another? What does it look like? The answer to that question is built into the command. Jesus says, love one another even as I have loved you. So Jesus' own love is the model for our love to one another. So how did Jesus love us? Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who was worshipped by angels and who had perfect communion with God the Father before time began, lowered himself. And not just a little bit. He became the lowest of the low. Not only did he take on our human flesh, our human flesh. He allowed himself to get weak in the same ways that you and I are weak. Okay, he got thirsty, he got hungry, he got tired, he got cold. But everything from the way he was born to where he grew up to who his parents were, to what he did for a living, everything was as low as it gets. And on top of all of that, he died the death that you and I deserve. So God lowers himself to be crushed and rejected by God. That's how Jesus loves us. And that's the kind of love that he commands us to have for one another. But can any one of us here say that that's what we've done? Can we say that we've had the exact same attitude in us as Christ Jesus had? No, we can't. But that is the wonderful part about this commandment. Even as I have loved you isn't just the model for us to follow, but it's also what empowers us to love one another. As Christians, we know the love of God. His love has been poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And because we've received this love for ourselves, we're free to turn it outwards towards our brothers. Okay, so I use the word brothers. And I don't know if you realize this, but every time we see one another and we say, hello, brother, or I love you, brother, or thank you, brother, or sister, every time we say that, it's a confession. It's a confession of a doctrine. Okay, when Jesus commands us to love one another, it's a command to love those who are in the household of faith. 
That's what the Bible calls us here, a household. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I want to talk about households a little bit. Okay, so every household has a head. Every household has a head. So as a church, who is our head? Christ, that's right. Christ is the head of the church. But who was our first head? Our first head was Adam. And we are all descendants of that one man, Adam. When Adam fell, we all fell with him. Why am I bringing up Adam in a sermon about loving one another? It's because in order to love one another, we have to know what we are to one another, our relationship to one another. What, what's the nature of that one another-ness? So what about Adam? We're all flesh and blood descendants of Adam. And because of that, we've all inherited his nature. That's why we all have the same weaknesses Besetting sins, temptations, we all tend to go astray like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Same fears, we all get lonely, tired. We all get goosebumps when we're cold. We all get hungry. We all have to go to the bathroom. We all get sick. We all feel pain. We were all born out of our mothers, and we all die. And that's everyone that's ever lived on this planet. But if you are a Christian, you're still a son of Adam, but you're a redeemed son of Adam. And you have a new head, and that head is Christ, the second Adam. And if Christ is your head, then you have the Spirit of God in you and in us, and he's transforming us day by day to become more like Jesus. So when you look at the people in here sitting around you, you're not just looking at other Americans or other IU students. You're looking at other Christians. You're looking at brothers and sisters in the same household, in the same family of God. And we've all, here we are, we've all come from different backgrounds, different countries even. And we've all come out of different sins, but now we are all one in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope. What is that hope? Eternal glory. One hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The unity that we have in Christ is real. We are closer to one another here than our family members who are not Christians. Water is thicker than blood. Because our identity is primarily in being the household, being in the household of God. And nothing else matters about you compared to the fact that you are a Christian. But this unity, this real unity, is something that has to be diligently preserved. Okay, it was in that passage that, we just, that I just read. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All the powers of hell are doing everything that they can to destroy this unity that we have here. And there's nothing that makes Satan happier than bickering Christians. And there's nothing he would rather do than to tear this body apart. So we can't let that happen. But Satan, Satan isn't alone. He's got allies. Who are these allies? They're right here in this room. And we know them very well. Who are they? It's my flesh. It's your flesh. It's my pride, and it's your pride. It's my envy, and it's your envy. It's my lust, and it's your lust. It's my selfish ambition, and it's yours. It's my rights, and your rights. We have to learn to become extremely wary of ourselves and guard against all the pride, jealousy, envy, malice, slander, and gossip that destroys our unity. So what is your particular brand of pride and envy? How does your pride and envy express itself? What flavor is it? Do you always have insights? Do you always have insights that no one else has about anything else? Are you the one who has a fuller understanding or can see thing, always see things from a different perspective than everyone else? Or are you the one who always wants to show how level-headed and moderate you are so that when your brother or sister comes up to you excited and zealous about something, you make it your job to, to squelch it and quench it and say whatever it is that you say, whatever it is that we say. Or are you the one who thinks that the church ought to put its money and focus in a different direction? That we emphasize such and such a ministry too much or that we talk about such and such a doctrine too much? Or are you the, the one that says, 
no one cares about the unborn like I do. Okay, I'm, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed my knee to Baal. Or maybe you're the one that sits there and looks down on the whole church because they haven't been reaching out to you like they should be. Or are you the young man who looks at the older men and thinks, oh, what, I'm supposed to call you my spiritual father? At your age, you should be a lot wiser than you are. Or are you a younger woman that looks at the pastors and elders of this church and thinks to yourself, what a bunch of hypocrites. And if you're poor, do you look at those who are more wealthy and say to yourself, if they were really godly Christians, they would have given more of their money away to people like me. Or are you rich? Are you rich? And you look at the poorer folks of our church and you think, what's wrong with them? They must have wasted their lives when they were young. If they were more hardworking and more responsible, what's to prevent them from making money? No wonder they're poor. They deserve it. Or do you look at the people around you and think, I'm so glad I know the importance of eating right. Are you naturally cool? Are you naturally cool? And you look down at the people who aren't, who aren't as cool as, as you are, and you only associate with cool people? Or are you, are you not so cool, and you look at the cool people, and you think to yourself, they're just so proud, and they're so arrogant. That's all their coolness is just a show. They're not as deep. They're not as sincere as I am. They're not as humble as I am. How about people with bumper stickers? Do you look at all the cars in the parking lot with no bumper stickers and say to yourself, these people just don't care about the causes that I care for or even about sharing the gospel? Either that or they just don't want to mess up their fancy cars. Or do you not have bumper stickers and then look at the bumper stickers people and say, dude, don't these people know that that's not the way to share the gospel? I mean, how many people get turned off by that kind of stuff? They need to learn how to relate to people. That's so tacky. Bumper stickers? I mean, come on. Or are you Asian? <laughs> are you Asian and say to yourself those white people just don't get it they don't know my unique cultural background the issues that I struggle with how hard it is to be Asian they're just so unsensitive they're always so confrontational they don't know how to do things in a subtle way. They're so rude. They think their jokes are funny. <laughs> they think sarcasm... Anyways. <laughs> it just sounds like I'm ranting now. 
So that's one kind of pride. One kind of pride looks at those around us and, and despises them. But the other kind looks at people who have gifts that we don't have and envies them. Okay, have you recently been pulled out of a ministry or left a ministry in the church and then gotten replaced by someone else and then wished with all your heart that that ministry fails? So everyone can see how essential you were to that ministry. Are you single? Are you single? And look at all the engaged and married people around you your age or younger and say to yourself, wait, he got her? He, what's the deal? Why not me? Or she got him? It's not fair. It's messed up. I should have. Okay? Or do you have, do you have a humble job in the church that you're always busy at? And working hard with, and nobody ever notices what you do. You look at those people who have upfront jobs, you know, the, the pastors who preach, or uh, the singers, the worship leaders, and do you think to yourself, I want that job, but, you know, I'm stuck here. And I could, I, I actually could do what they do, every bit as well as they do, but for some reason, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm stuck with. Is this what Jesus is talking about when he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples? Brothers and sisters, it should grieve all of us that this kind of stuff still happens here with us today in the church of Jesus Christ. How will all men know that we are his disciples if we love one another? If we love one another, all men will know that we are his disciples. It's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. But remember the second part of that command, right? Love one another even as I have loved you. Remember that that's not just the model to follow, but that's also what empowers us to love one another. We love because Christ first loved us while we were yet hard to love, while we were yet proud, while we were yet annoying, while we were yet liars, while we were yet passive-aggressive while we were yet disrespectful to our parents, while we were yet ungrateful, while we were yet lazy, while we were yet perverts, Christ died for us. That is how it's possible to love one another. So be freed. Be freed from your commitment to getting what you deserve out of this church and out of one another. And owe nothing to one another except to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we pray that you would teach us how much you love us. Lord, let us never get sick of it. 
always refresh it in our minds. And Father, I pray that you would help us to love one another. Teach us this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.